Sunday brunch with your girls is about two things, mimosas and the conversation. Join me every Sunday on the Crowned Opulence podcast for both. I will share my favorite mimosa recipe for the week and of course, girl talk. We'll talk about those topics that may be embarrassing and that we just keep to ourselves and those that we don't talk about enough with each other as women of color. Every woman deserves to live her most opulent life. For us women of color, that often comes with its own set of challenges and setbacks, which way more than we should, we deal with alone. If only we would take our cape off and be just a little vulnerable, we would find that our views, thoughts, and experiences aren't as different as we think. We could feel more supported and less alone. And we could help fix another sister's crown in the process. Little by little, we get a step closer to being crowned with our most opulent lives. Subscribe to the show to make sure you don't miss an episode. Hey, lady, and welcome to this episode of the Crowned Opulence Podcast. I am your host, Cassandra Conley. I am so excited for this conversation. Y'all have no idea. When I was creating the show, I knew early on I wanted to have a conversation around feminine and masculine energies. We embody both and they impact the way that we show up in relationships with our girls, at work, even with ourselves. Most of us have probably heard of this concept in some shape or fashion. But if you're like me and a lot of my friends, we really weren't aware or didn't fully understand what it was all about. Let me test this with you. Have you heard, you're too strong? You don't need me. Why didn't you just ask me? Or have you said, I got it, I'll figure it out. Or have you wondered why some women have men that support their entire life, throw money at them, buy jewelry, cars, pay bills, you know what I'm talking about. And you were thinking, what she got that I don't got? She ain't even all that cute. Well, the answer to those questions and more lie in understanding feminine and masculine energies. This isn't your typical gender role conversation. Not only am I excited for this conversation, I am so thrilled and honored to have it with the woman who introduced me to what the heck this was all about and how feminine and masculine energies were showing up in my own life. On this episode of the Crowned Opulence Podcast, I share with you my own personal life coach, Ivy Allen. She has worked with me through some of the hardest times and most stubborn moments of my life. She is so passionate about helping women to understand this concept, being confident and empowered, and she has been so instrumental in my own journey towards opulence. I had to share her with you. So let's get to it. Hello! How are you? I am good. How are you? I am hanging in there. (laughs) Good. Look at you with your hair. Yeah. Since I was seeing you're putting video clips on your page, I thought I should brush it. (laughs) (laughs) It looks so pretty. So what are you drinking? All right. I wanted to order mimosa and I did look them up. And in true Ivy fashion, because we're all so busy. I looked it up for one day. I was like, oh, yeah, I had to do that and didn't do anything with it. (laughs) (laughs) 
And that is perfectly fine. <laughs> no, this delightful confection is typically what I drink anytime that I speak, and it is lemon ginger water. And that so looks yummy. I, yes. What I often do is, you know, lemon is detoxing. Mm-hmm. It's also hydrating. It's fabulous for the skin. It pulls a lot of stuff out of you. It allows you, it allows the uptake of water, like to be really good in your body. And ginger actually helps with digestion. So um, through the two of them, you get a great detox, good hydration, good, you know, it's a, it's an overall really good drink. This does not have any sugar, but you could add a bit of stevia or agave nectar in it if you wanted it to be a little sweet. You could also put mint in it as well. Another way to do it. So, but I, I have a whole uh, picture of it and I've actually, I got bored with like bottled water and I was like tired of buying it. So this is a, a lemon ginger. And if you wanted to make it, you know, you could add sparkling water to do it as a spritzer. Oh. Uh, if you like, you know, of course you could still, if you wanted to put the crushed salt or margarina, cause it's just, these are just all natural ingredients. And I'm really big on, you know, trying to do things that help and not keep me inebriated so I can be intelligent in this conversation. <laughs> Well, I love how you have the lemon on the side of the glass. Makes it, it look makes like it's like, it's like spectacular, right? It makes it look so pretty. You know, it's, it's funny because this is a podcast. So if we'd done audio, it would have been in like a regular plastic. <laughs> well, I, I was like, oh, she's putting clips on. Let me, let me put it in a nice glass and put a little lemon thing on it. And I was actually looking around to see if I had um, salt or sugar to brim the Oh, bread. fancy. And I, well, if I had it, I would have dipped my glass in it and thrown in some raspberries too. You can, you know, you can do anything with infused water to make it look like an alcoholic beverage. And really all you're doing is like hydrating yourself to like, you know. That looks really pretty. I love all things glamorous and opulent. And I always have my drink in a crystal champagne flute. Yes. It makes me feel fancy. And it's heavy as opposed to regular champagne flutes. So I am drinking a sparkling raspberry lemon mimosa. Um, This is the first time I've ever tried to make something like this. It It is. It's really good. And it's so pretty. It's beautiful. Yeah. So the, what I think about that too, is you said something very key. It's heavy. Mm-hmm. The glass itself. You can it, feel the opulence. Yes. Seriously. Like when you pick it up, it's like almost a paperweight. Um, mm-hmm. But I love these glasses and I did something different with this. I took the uh, raspberries, they're frozen raspberries. Mm-hmm. I let them sit in the refrigerator with sugar on top for a bit. And then I put in the Prosecco and then uh, it's lemonade with raspberry. Oh, that sounds yummy. Yeah. So and- I'll tell you a trick though. So for every episode, I do do the most, the mimosa as part of the ambiance. But I also have my thermos of lemon water <laughs> to go between the two to make sure that I don't end up inebriated. And also <laughs> balance all that out. Exactly. I love your um, infused drink because all I've been doing is lemon water Mm -hmm. and to kind of add some extra pizzazz. Mm -hmm. I have to try that with the ginger. You can do with a mimosa, you could do with water and you can Mm. add the sparkling. If you want the, I don't, I'm not into the bubbles, but you can add sparkling water if you want just a little bit of kick to it, which would have the same kind of texture, almost the same texture as a 
as a mimosa, sans the alcohol. So actually, I may do that because my mom gave me an idea and I've been trying to figure out how to do it. And it's to create a non-alcoholic version of the drink special. And I thought about doing like sparkling grape juice, but Mm -hmm. that has an actual flavor, which may not mix with whatever the other ingredients Mm -hmm. are. So that kind of made me a little bit leery. Mm -hmm. But I think with the sparkling water, per se, you can do that with whatever flavor and then it will take on the flavor like champagne does. It'll take on the flavor as the rest of the mimosa and you can have a version that's not alcoholic. Yep. I solved the answer to my question. Thank you. See, got all the answers already. (laughs) The answers are always within you. Answers are always within you. Just, yeah, just wait a minute. They'll all come. That's so, (laughs) um, the answer is always within you. And that um, kind of fits into a little bit of what we're talking about today. And you introduced me to this concept of feminine and masculine energies. I want to say it was about two years ago Mm -hmm. as part of my own personal development journey when I wasn't getting the results that I wanted in dating. Mm -hmm. And since you kind of enlightened me to this, I've been super excited. And I've been sharing it with my friends and other girlfriends and talking to them about it. And the interesting thing is none of them knew what I was talking about, (laughs) (laughs) which is very interesting and also very sad. Yeah. And it's, it speaks to a quote from one of my favorite books uh, that has actually been very eye opening for me in my own um, journey to understand more that you've also helped me to connect with. And that's The Audacity to Be Clean by Gina DeVee. And one of the things that she says, um, and it's a quote from her book, it says, most people mistaken femininity for emotional fragility or donning the 1950s gingham apron. Some confuse it with the feminist movement marches that fight for equal pay and women's rights. Still, Others judge it as seductive or witch-like, threatened by what they cannot see and don't understand. Mm -hmm. Since this invisible concept is neither taught in school or modeled often enough in real life, even women are uneducated about what femininity actually is. Well, I say no more. This is a part of each one of us. And I am tired of women being left out of the conversation or just not understanding or going through situations and it having a negative impact on the life that they want and they don't really understand why. Mm -hmm. So what really is femininity? And you can't really talk about femininity without talking about the opposite of masculinity. But what is it? How do we help women understand more about themselves? Well, femininity and masculinity are are concepts that are really self-defining. What I would say that the broader, bigger question is for people is what is feminine energy and masculine energy? And when you talk about it as an energetic, it's a very different thing than femininity, which conjures up either bra burning or you laying out on a chaise lounge in some Alexis Carrington slippers. I'm dating myself by using <laughs> that dynasty reference, but that's what, you know, in a fluffy robe, like that's what it conjures up some, some dichotomy of that. You're either, you know, Gloria Steinem or Marilyn Monroe, and that's all the choices you have. There's nothing in between, but feminine energy is an energetic that encompasses all of that 
and more. It's an innate sense of your sensuality and and sexuality and your receptivity is what it really is all about. Uh, the biggest thing that the feminine does is it's receptive. If you even think about our anatomy, we take in things, we receive things and then kind of swirl them in the cauldron of our womb. And then we birth things back out. If you think about it in terms of that. So it's about our ability to receive, to create, to nurture, to embody. That's also, you know, another word is like, how are you pulling it in and swirling it around and creating it? And what does it look like on you kind of embodiment? Like, how do you embody love? How do you embody success? How do you embody your own definition of femininity. It's a self-created energetic based on what you are allowing yourself to receive, the inputs you take in, and how you are pushing them back out, for lack of a better term, or offering them back out into the world after you've created it into something. Um, masculine is, is a different energetic. It is the drive, the achieving, the accomplishment, this linear, you even think about the symbols where feminine is this, uh, this symbol, but it looks like the plus, but it's a cross. It's an intersection. It's where things meet and something new is created and is born. The, the masculine is linear. It's directional. I'm on my way to do something, accomplish something, be something, uh, do something, achieve something, which is very, very different than a feminine energetic. So when you think of masculine, masculinity or femininity, you have to think of them first in terms of energies. And actually the human being is comprised of both. There's no way women can quote, achieve, right? Accomplish without this masculine piece of it. I think though, in our quest for uh, what I would call equality, You know, I always say women got liberated and men didn't. This wasn't a journey that we took with them. We took it without them. We didn't ask their permission, their input. We didn't have a summit and say, you know what? I'm really wanting to be equally paid and have same rights and privileges as you. And they go, I think that's a good idea. And to support you in that, I'm going to, you know, watch kids and do some stuff at home. We didn't have that summit. It looked like, okay, you guys do what you want. I don't want to do any of that other stuff, but if you say you want to work and you still are going to be responsible for the kids and you're still going to be responsible for the home and I still want you to, you know, uh, do all the dinners and the parties and all that. If you want to take that on, you take that on. I'm not taking on this extra stuff. I don't want to do it. And we, Mm. we didn't think about that because our focus, this linear, which is a masculine thing, we accomplished almost equal pay, more women. We accomplish gender in the workplace, but not femininity, not femininity. And that's very, very different. We didn't do it in partnership, which is really what true femininity is about. We would have partnered with men and said, how do we take this in, swirl it around and create something beautiful and better? What we did was say, we, we want what they have and we're going to get it the way they got it and negated what we already have innately that is available to us all the time, anytime, always. And the other thing we lost is that quality inspired them to take care of, to provide, to cover, to love. And then when we said, forget you, I'm going to do it myself. They went, okay. And now we're mad. How come you don't cover Mm. me anymore? How come you don't protect me anymore? I thought you said you wanted to do what you said. (laughs) And men are confused too. 
I hold the door open. Don't hold the door open for me. I offer to help a package. Don't help a package open to me. Another woman, I don't hold the door. This dude didn't even hold the door open to me. How rude. What kind of man are you that doesn't help a woman with her packages? They're confused. It varies from woman to woman, day to day on what to do. It's very confusing. So men don't know what to do. So a lot of, when I coach men in dating, they're like, I don't know what to do. Mm, That's interesting. And something that you alluded to is I think as we were, as women were on this journey to gain equal pay and equal rights, somehow we developed this mindset that being feminine was the same as being weak or dumb. And sometimes in society, that's how it's been portrayed. Mm-hmm. The, the feminine type of woman is, you know, the very sexually risque or she's not as intelligent or what have you. Uh, but that's really not what feminine energy is and being in your feminine is. And you uh, brought to my awareness a story that has become one of my favorite stories. Like it's been a part of my journey in so many different ways, but I constantly refer back to it. And it's actually in the Bible. It's mm-hmm. the story of Queen Esther of Persia and how she approached her husband, King Xerxes, mm-hmm. when she was put in a position to save her people. You illustrated this so beautifully to me and so clearly. Would you mind sharing some of that story and illustration? So, yes, Queen Esther of Persia, she's... This is actually one of my favorite viral stories, actually. If, if anybody has seen it, my one of my favorite adaptations is One Night with the King. She's good. I showed it to my daughter not too long ago. But anyway, so Queen Esther of Persia, um, she comes, she has a dilemma. She has made it to queen, but this is after having a long life of a bunch of other struggles, which as, as Black women, as women, we all have these other struggles. But in, our struggles as Black women is a very unique struggle in this country. So when she comes with all having all this other struggle, she's been orphaned. Uh, she has to renounce, she doesn't renounce her religion, but she has to hide her religion. So, you know, in, in some cases we, we've had to hide things about ourselves that are really important to fit in and to blend in. And then she uh, finally, after a year of beauty treatments and purification, she shows up and she's actually chosen queen, but she does so in a very feminine way. There are no cat fights between her and the rest of the harem. There are no... <laughs> She doesn't, she doesn't, um, whisper to, uh, Hey guy that, you know, I really want to be the one. Cause I think I make the best queen and the rest of these girls or, you know, she doesn't like, and she doesn't even try to ingratiate herself. She brings the full of her femininity to bear in this in every way. And in every circumstance, which I admire for the women, she becomes a leader. She reads to them. She comforts them. She encourages them. This is all about that for, for, Hey guy, she finds her, he finds favor in her because she's so authentically herself. And because of that, when she comes before the king, she presents herself as someone who will have his back, who is trustworthy, who believes in what he is up to and that believes that she can make a difference as queen. And so she's chosen to be his, his queen. And she does so all from the feminine. There's no game playing and none of this, and he, and, and, he would give her anything. He would give her anything. Mm-hmm. My, 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 he, my favorite part is she wants to go and see him about her people. Um, and she uh, is pacing back and forth outside 
um, actually in the story. And he's, and, and he, she's like, I don't know how to go in. I don't know how to go in. And he goes, Esther, come in here. And she, <laughs> he invites her and she's respectful. She doesn't just barge in. She doesn't just, you're going to see me now. She doesn't just, Hey God, put a dime in his ear. You know, I want to see him. She, she doesn't no manipulative. She's actually pacing, considering how do I approach my husband in a way that respects him and honors his place in the court? Because if I do so, then he's going to have to do something that's not. And, and he extends his invitation and to, to do that. And so it, it's just this amazing part. Anyway, she does, she does come in and she has to take a risk, though, because she knows that if she does, he has to extend his royal scepter, which he ultimately ends up doing. So in the end, he extends his royal scepter. She invites him to dinner. She doesn't ask him before his court. She doesn't ask him before the boys. She doesn't ask him to embarrass him. She doesn't ask her question. She waits to get him alone in private. And she knows this king likes to party. He likes food. He likes wine. He likes a good time. He likes to be, she has her maids prepare a banquet. And he says, ask me whatever you will, up to half my kingdom, I will give it to you. Now, here's the thing about feminine energy. And I think this is one of the things we miss. She deals with the king from a place of respect. And because Mm -hmm. she respects his authority in this moment, that he has the power of life and death to extend his scepter, that if she interrupts him, she will be in, in an embarrassment to him as queen. And it challenges his authority, that it's a risk for her and a risk for him. So she doesn't even ask her question in front of the court. She waits to get him alone so she can tell him what she needs to tell him in private. This is the height of femininity, ladies. A lot of times our emotions get the best of us and we turn into a tempest in front of everybody. That's not the right time, ladies. It's just not, you got to pick your time. And the other thing is she knows her man. She knows her man. She knows what it's going to take to soothe him to put him in a receptive mode to her ideas so that he will hear her and listen, you know, from a place of masculine provision, from a place of masculine protection of her, rather than this, you came in here to ask me this in front of all of these people, like putting me in a compromising position that I am not in a position to take action that is befitting of my station of who I'm ruling, who I am responsible for with no facts and no proof, but your word. And in that time, it wasn't like the word of a woman was a really great thing, right? So she was very conscious of these these things before asking her question. And she finally does ask her question, not on the first night, but on the second night. Again, know your man. She knows I'm, it's this, I need to massage this in a respectful way. She asks her a question. And of course he says, you know, he gives her what she asked for. And she really is is asking for him to save her people. And he can't exactly save her people in the way one would think, but he does save her people so that they have the opportunity that gives them equal footing uh, going forward in the future. But she does so with respect for his station, with respect for his position, respect for his authority, respect for what he, what he is king of. He has built this kingdom that she is invited to participate. A man has a kingdom. He's inviting you to be his queen. He's inviting you to be his queen. He expects you to to value the pieces of his life that are meaningful to him. That's why he invited you. And she showed respect for that. And then of course he loves up on her and protects her um, and, and provides for her what she needs, which is to save her people at the time. That was a long explanation going around it. And, and I may have actually, I've seen Queen Esther in various iterations. So I might've collapsed some, some of the iterations. <laughs> I love that story. Um, and so I have a question for you that is going to, 
um, probably require you to play to answer the question more so than know the answer. Sure. So from my understanding of the story, Esther was a virgin. Mm -hmm. Esther was an orphan. Her mother and father died and she was kind of raised by like her cousin. Mm-hmm. So being that she had no real example to follow of how to engage with her king in this manner. And I'll equate that to present day. A lot of women now have grown up in single mother households, didn't have a relationship with their father. Um, didn't have that example that previous generations probably had um, to the frequency that they had. it. Some, of course, mm-hmm. did. So as a woman, okay, and you and I have had similar conversations. Logically, what you said makes sense. But when you've never seen it, how do you, how do you think Esther kind of figured out how to do this without an example and no experience? I think this is when you, you, you lean into your femininity. There's this innate knowing that we have, and that is, you know, kind of at the core of who we are. Femininity is an energetic that's given to us by the divine. And this is, you know, we talked about this a little earlier, like sometimes you've got to sit still and tune into that. And that's really the only way to know, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say it this way. I love my mother. My mother's in a phenomenal marriage, but her marriage to my own father was not so great. And she was in that phase and it was the time and what they were both going through. You know, they married very young and then they hit their twenties and then it all went crazy because they were discovering themselves and who they were in the marriage, which that's no different than what happens for a lot of people, especially if you, you get married very, very young or you get married prior to really knowing who you are. But one of the things I guess that I tuned into as a kid was what I don't want. Mm. And that was enough to kind of go, if you model this, you're going to get what they had, even if though that's all you know. And all I could kind of think of in my own journey was like, it's not what I want. So I begin to seek other models. What do I want? And what would that look like? And then how would that look like on black women? And if I don't have it, let me start with what I can see, which was from white women. And then where do I need to adapt and make adjustments? And it does require you to play because you're, you're, some of it I'd never I'd never seen it before. And you don't know if it's going to work, but you experiment Mm -hmm. and then you you get quiet and you listen and you do where you, you go where you're led. And sometimes that was to more information. Sometimes it was to other, uh, another shiny example of somebody that I absolutely love. And and she's coming to mind because I just saw a picture of her. I had a best girlfriend uh, when I was a kid. I loved her parents' marriage so much so uh, that her mother, I remember this, and I remember thinking, I want to say this when I'm older. She was definitely a mom. Seriously, like this is how you, this is how you really get it. You start identifying what I don't want, what I do want. Her mother, she, she, her mother had this like really loving, soft, beautiful way of talking. I admired that because you know my mom's like me, all fired up and all passionate. So that wasn't a, we're like <laughs> right. That that's how we are, you know. Um, and so, but her mother had this beautiful, elegant way of, of speaking. And she was like a deaconess in the church and she used to lead praise and worship. And I can just remember her soft spoken voice over praise and worship. Cause I used to go to their church when I was a kid, which is another example. My parents grew up in a completely different faith. Uh, they were 
uh, brought up in Jehovah's Witness, left that faith. So that was all I knew. When I met my girlfriend, I was in search of the divine, had always been, and started going to church with her. Not because anybody told me to. That was the next best thing for me. That was where I felt I was being led. Like, I want to find God. And I know that that's like the key to everything in my life. And I needed to do that. And I just started going to church with her family. And I have wonder, sometimes looking back, it's like, I wonder is the reason that she and I bonded that year? Because mm-hmm. we went to separate high schools after that. We were still friends after that, but we've since our lives have evolved. But I will say that's what I, out of our friendship, one, that's one of the biggest things. And her mother as an icon. And her mother would say, I remember, Roslyn, her name was Roslyn. Are you going to go do such and such? And um, she would say, well, I, I don't know, mom. And she'd say, well, you have to let me know what you do because I have to talk it over with the lover and we have to make a decision on that. And she would always, I, I, have, to ask the lover, I have to ask the lover about this. And I was like, oh my God, your mother calls your father the lover? And she was like, yes. And I just, I'm like, oh my, that is just amazing. That. That's beautiful. And Honestly, as I was around them, she really did, you know, she, you know, as a kid, you roll your eyes and you think your parents are whatever. But the more I was around them, she actually referred to him. She'd call down to him and, and she'd say, lover, are we doing whatever? We, yeah, this is just amazing. And so in that moment, I was like, I want that. I want that. And they were married for a very, very long time, had a very loving relationship. They, she had a phenomenal family. Uh, I, I envied them. I was, uh, I was very close to them at one time, envied them. And, and we've reconnected since that time. I, I always admired that about her. And they uh, were a black family. And he was a father that was very present and engaged with his children. He was absolutely loving. He was absolutely there for his kids. They were iconic. So I say that to say, I knew what I didn't want. And she, and, and to be honest, at that time, she was the only one of my friends who had a both parent households. And I spent a lot of time there. Why? Because I knew it was what I wanted. And that's how the divine led me to get fed. I have no idea why I became friends with that girl at that time in that class for whatever reason. I didn't know her before. I think we had the same last name started with the B and we sat together and that was how we met. It was like, no, no, I had no other reason except to say we, there was divine intervention. And my experience with her showed me something that I will cherish for the rest of my life. So I was led to it. I sought it out somehow innately in here and sought it out. And it just revealed itself to me through my experiences. And that's how you get there. You don't, there's no, I don't have a formula. There's no magic formula. Just being clear about, yeah, I don't want any of that. Mm. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. I really love that, how she called her husband the lover. lover. I think back to, I've seen my great grandparents do this. And I've watched um, my boyfriend's grandmother do this to his grandfather. And uh, I've seen it in other older married couples where the wife will call the husband daddy and she'll like refer to him and not in like a parental Mm -hmm. way. And I think I've even heard uh, Sarita Jakes refer to Bishop Jakes in Mm -hmm. some of like her Instagram videos. She'll say daddy. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of like, to me, I, that resonates as being kind of similar. Similar, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen that in, um, I have two, um, my two aunties. One um, is, uh, one is definitely like in, in my dad's generation, his older sister. And she called her husband, Han. And they were married for 51 years. And as a, you know, it's kind of like a joke. And, and he just passed away recently, actually, this year. 
And we're like, I know she's lost without Han. Like, mm. that's what she, Han, like, that's how, Han, Han, I could just hear her little sweet voice. Han, do you think we should, Han, that's all she, I don't think I ever heard her call him by his name. And then my, my other auntie calls her husband, daddy. Okay, daddy, mm. we're going to come on. They're all, they're from the South. Okay, daddy, we'll just, she's so sweet. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. <laughs> so you were, Talking about something when you were talking about how uh, King Xerxes responded to Esther Mm -hmm. and how he gave her what she was asking for. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you and I have talked about before is men. It's coded into their DNA to want to make you happy, to please you. And it almost like does something to their like ego when Mm -hmm. they think that they're not. Yes, absolutely. I think even just having that understanding, because I don't, it was news to me. Um, I don't know how many women know that or realize that in understanding how the masculine works. And you used an example before um, in a previous conversation that you and I had that men are made to provide. They're made to take care of you, to please you. And we're meant to receive it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that's just kind of mind blowing. And I wanted to share that part. Um, so earlier you talked about the journey that we as women went on to gain our independence, our financial freedom. And so now here we are, 2020, and in a world where you have to balance being seen and heard and respected without being the angry black woman at work, because now we want equal pay. We want the high paying, the high um, powered positions. We have relationships with our significant others, where, as you said, they didn't sign up for us to go on this journey. So oftentimes still our responsibilities to keep the house, take care of the kids, keep a schedule, keep them in line. And then you also have your parents who, as they're aging, having to take care of them. Mm-hmm. And then your husband, your male partner has this expectation of how he wants to be treated. And it's kind of like you walk in the house and you flip a switch and he kind of expects you to become this person in how you engage with him. How do you do that without becoming bipolar with all these (laughs) different (laughs) Like, how do you not forget who you're supposed to be? (laughs) (laughs) from one moment to the next with one group of people from the next. How do you manage all that? Because they're very, especially depending on the type of role that you have. Mm -hmm. If you work in corporate America, that's a very different dynamic and atmosphere. Even just to have your idea heard, forget taken seriously, but just to hear people, to get people to listen to you. It requires a whole nother level of energy that's very different than the one that your man is expecting you to have at home. Yes. So the short answer is, and and, and I go over this and I, I, we've probably talked about one of the tenants I talk about is pay yourself first. And I say this all the time in in my coaching and in my group, pay yourself first. You got to invest in yourself. You got to know what you need. You got to know what you have. You got to know where you are at all. You got to stay connected here in your heart, in your mind, your soul. You have to be connected to you at all times. Because if you don't know what you need and what's next for you, it's going to be really hard to feed yourself what you need to be who you need to be for the people that matter to you in your life. So the gift of the feminine is that we have this ability 
um, even how we're, we're wired biologically. This is you know, one of those beautiful faith-based things that I believe. The, the universe doesn't make mistakes. We're wired in a particular way to serve in a particular way. It doesn't mean we can't serve in other ways, but we're wired to serve in a particular way. So, you know, any, I've heard pastors talk about this, psychologists talk about this, sociologists talk about this. Men compartmentalize. They have waffles like for brains and women's brains are like spaghetti. So when men are in the the work compartment, they are in it. They are committed to whatever it is that they're doing in this work. That's why when you, when they're fixing the sink and you're trying to get them to help you with Johnny and uh, what about paying this bill? And 10 minutes later, what do you want for dinner? It's very frustrating to them because what they have committed to in this hour or two hours or however long it takes is I'm going to fix this pipe if it's the last thing I do. And they are on that or watch this game or play with my son or clean up the, whatever it is that they've got in their linear sites. That's where they are and what they're doing. With women, we're like spaghetti. We're like, I'm going to cook, and then I'm going to talk to my friend Maple on the phone, and then I'm going to get these kids, and they're going to clean up their room. And then when I finish that, I'm going to soak my feet and have a pedicure. And then I got three other phone calls to make, and I got this little side business I got to start, and I got to work on the three deliverables I have for that. And so we're all thinking about how all this can, can fit together because that's how we think. The gift that we have, and we can get there a little faster than men because of this intertwining, is that... We understand because of our connection to human beings and the way we're wired is that everybody's not wired the same. Like we get that. That's how we parent kids. But when it comes to our man, we don't extend that same grace. You know that your son is different from your daughter. We sit around a table and talk about how men are different, but let your man be different and need different things. It's like we just kind of like just put blinders on. If we understand and we do, ladies, we do. Because it's a gift. You already know. You know how your one girlfriend is different from your other girlfriend, is different from your boss, is different from your coworker, is different from your man, your father, or your mother. You understand. You get that. Here, you get it. Here, you get it. And then we forget it with our man. And the reason we forget it is because you have to provide space for him to step into And we're doing all these things so fast at the speed of life. We instantaneous. And remember, we're spaghetti. He's still in whatever compartment he is. You left him in this morning unless he decided to get into another compartment. And you have to give him grace for that. And we have the ability to do that. But it's often challenging because we have so many things going on. This is why you got to know what you are, where you are, what you need, and when you need it. And you got to feed yourself so that you can feed what's important to you. And that includes not just your children and your business and your job, it includes your man too. And he's a better partner when you understand that because if you've given yourself space, you can give him space and grace. And then he comes to meet you because when a man can see that you're struggling and you're overwhelmed and he's present to it and there's space for him to step into, he will cover you. Why? No man on this planet wants a woman that he loves and cares about to be struggling, overwhelmed, and to feel like she can't depend on him. It is an affront Mm. to his masculine provision that my lady is struggling and telling everybody that she's struggling and upset and I am oblivious as a man. Mm. That is an affront to him. But you have to give him space to get there. And we're just, we often, everything moves so fast. We don't give men the space. They don't process like we do. You wouldn't do that to your son. You wouldn't do it to your boss. 
You wouldn't even do it to a girlfriend. If a girlfriend didn't get it, you'd be like, that's not where she is right now. Mm. Your man can't catch up at the speed of light. You're like, I don't, dude, really, can you, the garbage. Can we get there? (laughs) No grace, no space, no compassion. (laughs) So can you share? You just, and what you have to do is you have to feed yourself. You have to say, okay. What am I up against when I come home? So I'll, I'll give you a real example. I, you know, I was a single mom and I was married and then I was a single mom and, and, and in relationship. So here's what I write. You don't ever get this sometimes until you don't, you don't realize what you have until it's gone. Right. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I realized when I was married is expecting my man to handle things the way I would handle. That's the grace. He's not going to. He's going to come at it with a masculine perspective. I have a feminine perspective. I need different things out of this interaction. So the grace was allow him to come at it from whatever perspective he needs to with the end result is you both are happy with the result. So one of my favorite example, examples of this is housekeeping. <laughs> I don't think I have to say anything, right? <laughs> Not at all. I don't have to explain. And this is when, before we had kids. And I'm like, I'm in a career job and I'm overwhelmed. We just bought a house and it, it's a lot. I can't do all this. And I'm, I'm stressed because I'm in this, we had moved too. So it was like a big deal. And I said, I just, I can't do this. So the feminine journey was for me to admit to myself and say, I need help. Right. How many of us like, you know, Hey, say mm-hmm. I, if you, if you've like, I, I got it. I, I, I. So the first thing was the feminine receives. How can I allow myself to receive support? Having a clean home and organized home is important to me. It's not just important because I like things neat and I'm a neat freak and all that other stuff. I need order to feel safe, to feel secure, to be productive, to be the best version of myself. I can't come home and have chaos. That's upsetting emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually to me. And so just accepting and getting that for myself, like what it was really, it's not the neat thing, which is where it, oh, she's a neat, no, it is disorienting to me to come home to a house that's a mess. And then I have to get my bearings and that's hard on me emotionally. I, I don't have patience because now I got to wade through whatever you got to wade through just to clean the kitchen so I can cook dinner so I can do all these other things. I, I just couldn't do it. So I said, hmm, I really need support in this, but I need him enrolled. What I'm unwilling to do is fight about it. We already fought about it for years. I don't want to do that. Hmm. What can you do? And I said, I'm going to come up with some solutions and I'm going to ask for his support. Ooh, novel idea. (laughs) (laughs) Right? What do we usually do? (laughs) Yell, scream, attack. What what did my friend say? Lob the grenade. Mm -hmm. Right? (laughs) Complain, nag, command, convince, cajole, manipulate. Yep. Go down that path. I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to partner with him and I'm going to give him grace and an opportunity. And so I said exactly what I told you. I need a clean house. It was a moment of vulnerability. I had to be vulnerable, but I first had to get in touch with why it was so important and be able to say that to him. Not just, I need to have this place clean because I don't like a dirty house. That just feels like an attack on him. I said, I, I need to have my space clean. I can't think like order it. 
it's emotionally draining to me to have to deal with this. I can't think. I don't do my best job cooking. I don't do my best job thinking. It's upsetting to me. That was all feminine vulnerability. It's upsetting to me. And I said, so I've got some choices. You can tell me what feels good, what you would want. And I'm open. I said, I can give you a honey-do list and you can do it. But you have to do it by when you say, you get to say when you'll do it. And I'll honor that. I will not say a word until you don't honor your word. And then if I get upset, you have to accept my level of upset. Because I, you have said you're going to do it by Tuesday and you didn't. You give me your word and you didn't. That's one way. Honey-do list, you get to say the due date. Two, we clean on one day and we share the chores. You pick the day and the time. Three, we hire a housekeeper. And I don't care. We'll look it up and I'll get prices. Or I think I came to him with prices. It costs X, whatever I said it costs. Mm -hmm. So you think about it. And he asked questions. He said, you know, how often would I have to do this? And I said, well, some things have to be done every week and some things have to be done on the lines. And he said, and and I said, and I put the list on the refrigerator. I'm not going to say anything else. I'm just going to leave the list with the dates and you tell me when you can get it done. And he says, and how much does the housekeeping cost? And I said, whatever it was. I don't know, it was a hundred bucks or whatever. And he goes, hire the housekeeper. And, I said, okay. and that was it. And we never argued about it again. Never. Not one time. Done. Done. And oh, I forgot. I also said, or something else. I don't care what else. I just need the house clean. And he said, okay, I understand. He really listened and then just said, do this. That was it. Never talked about it again. It was one of the biggest lessons I've had. And, and even, even since then, and he and I, you know, as, as everybody knows my story, if you don't know my story, we're divorced. We have a phenomenal co-parenting relationship. Even now, if I need something, I will say, I really need your help. I don't demand his help or command his help or guilt his help or manipulate his help because you're the father and you're supposed to be doing this. And you know, I just, hey, this is really important to me. And he goes, well, what do you need? And I say, this, because it's impacting this, this is really important to me. What's really important to our daughter. I can even remember another time with our car. And I was really upset, but I had to, I had to, and I, you know, I, I get this kind of stoic, we're divorced. I'm not going to show him any emotion. I'm strong. You know, I get to you know, get him. And then it was really upsetting to me and I really needed help. It was a car repair. And I said something like, this is really upsetting to me. You don't know how car repairs upset me. You don't know. I don't know what to say to these guys. I feel like they're taking, I mean, like I was really upset. I was really, and then he was like, well, why don't you do this? And I was like, no, they're going to just take my money. Do you know what it's like to be a woman to go into a mechanic place? And I'm like, and you should care about this. Do you know why you should care about this? Because I carry your most precious cargo in the world. <laughs> daughter. And, but I was just all in the hole. And he went, call this guy, give him my name and tell him that you need help. <laughs> and I did. And he fixed my car and he would give me discounts all the time. Oh yeah, he's a friend of mine. Give me this. It's it's you got to give him. You know, I he didn't know how I felt about the car. That was the first time I was sharing it to him. And at that time, I was I wasn't exactly in tempest mode, but I was really in breakdown around it. I didn't Mm. like ever up until that moment see my breakdown. But that's the point. We're always trying to tough it out. We don't have to. When a man sees someone he cares about, mother, sister, friend, even ex wife, even ex girlfriend. Even baby mama, who's taking care or is important to his life in some way, he will do what he can to cover her because men naturally protect and provide, but you've got to give them the grace, which means share with them 
what it is you're struggling with from a feminine place in your vulnerability, letting them see like grace to know he's going to see me as a human being and do what a man does. And then the space, like if he doesn't do it tomorrow, like not make him wrong for it, give him some time to process it, to think about it. Sometimes men, like they might go borrow money. They might get three other friends to help you move. You don't know what they're going to do, but if you're like expecting him to like solve it and write a check right then and there and blah, 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 blah. Like, just say, I really need your help. Can you help me? Or I, I really, or what, what do you think I should do? Ask for his advice. Sometimes they'll come up with really quick things. Sometimes they'll say, well, if you, why didn't you just tell me? I can take care of that. Honey, if you needed me to pick up the kids, why didn't you just ask? And we women think I shouldn't have to ask you, but mm-hmm. that's how another woman would process that. That's not how a man, if a dude was hanging with another dude and that dude needed something, he wouldn't be like standing around going, you know, man, why don't you offer to do this? You should offer. He would go, man, if you need help, he would expect another dude. Cause that's how men think. We often impose feminine energetic traits onto masculine. They don't think in process. That's the grace. Give them the grace to know they're going to be coming at it different. How can I show them something different and give them the space to cover me? And they will. And if they don't, Sometimes the other, the other key in, into this, and I know women are going to hate me for saying this. I'm probably going to get outed. And disappointed. <laughs> you have to be honest, but you also have to be realistically. You can't ask a man for more than he's willing to provide. It would be like, you know, somebody coming to you and asking you to, to do something they know is out of your realm of capability. It feels insulting. You know that I can't do this. And that's not to say not to make space for big thinking. And it's a real nuance, like sharing with them your struggle and asking for advice is different from saying, can you give me a thousand dollars to pay my rent when you know, he, or what I'm making that up, but like, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't have the thousand dollars. You're asking for something he can't provide. That's going to mm-hmm. be feeling a certain kind of way about doing anything for you. Now she knows I can't do this. Did she just come here to humiliate me? to make me feel bad, to make me feel less than. I will help her, but allow him to help you in ways that is within his realm of capability or possibility. Again, that's the grace and the space. Like just say, I'm really struggling. I I need a thousand dollars and I don't know what to do. And then let him contribute to you instead of you got a thousand dollars or you know what? You ain't nothing if you don't have... (laughs) Because every man who's X age should have a thousand dollars, and if he doesn't, what kind of man are you, right? Which is, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, an, it's an, it, it, that's not true. You don't know what that man has been through. You know what kind of life he's led. For all you know, he has really, really like worked hard to put his life back together from some setback. And re- and remember, as you and I were talking about earlier, black men have a unique journey in this country. It has not been mm-hmm. easy for them, and in some ways, it's we are have been systemically like less of a threat. So we've been able to get away and navigate through some things a lot easier than they have been. And so it it hasn't been easy for them. So any Mm -hmm. guy that's like on his grind and holding it down and trying to do it, like that's awesome. Let him contribute to you in the ways that he's able to. He may not give you the thousand dollars, but maybe he'll give you 500 or introduce you to somebody that can give you the whole thousand. You don't know. If he cares about you and he wants to help you, he's going to figure out something, some way to contribute to you, some way to protect you, some way to provide to you because he cares about you. Wow. And I know that's a novel concept for people, but it's, it's if you give men the grace and the space 
they will do it. And if they don't, don't make them wrong. Just accept that's not where they are. They're not in a position to do that. And that's their journey, not yours. And then you need to find another solution. And it don't make all men bad because (laughs) one guy wasn't there yet. Mm -hmm. He's still on his journey. Give him the grace to let him have it. It doesn't mean you have to have it with him. There's a term that you helped me to become aware of, and you kind of alluded it, alluded to, excuse me, as you were saying, um, as you were just talking, and that's make a request, make it a winnable game. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it's a winnable game, they're willing to buy into it. Absolutely. But when it's something that's, you know, outside of their realm of capabilities, they're lost. They lost before they've even tried to play. Exactly. No man is going to play an unwinnable game. Men cal- Again, this is the difference between men and women. Men calculate the cost of things. They want to play a winnable game. Again, they have a chance to win. Even if it's a, a long shot, there's still a belief that I could win this. It is possible. They're going to play or they could choose to play. It's totally up to them. But if you're, again, that $1,000, if you know the guy just got laid off from his job or, you know, and I'm using that as an example. And he's, or he's in business startup mode. I have just invested my last time into this entrepreneurship and I'm really hoping that it'll take off. And you're like, I need two grand for, I don't know, whatever you need two grand for. Like it'll feel unwinnable to him. And that's not to say that he won't find the two grand. He might, but don't say, give me two grand. The winnable game is I need your help. This is what I'm looking for. Let him figure out how he wants to play. That's a very different question than give me this or you need to do this for me. Offer him the space to think of how can I take care of my lady, solve her problem in maybe a way she hasn't thought of so that I can win the game. If, if, if the game is I need I don't know, money so that my home doesn't get foreclosure on because I haven't been working through COVID and the amount is whatever, two grand. I'm making these numbers up. It could be whatever. but And, and that's the amount. then. Just tell them, you know, here's the deal. I'm afraid my house is going to go into foreclosure. It's going to cost two grand to get me out of it. Help me think this through. I need your help. For all you know, he might be a real estate mogul or no one. He might get somebody to figure out how to do a short sale. He might, you have no idea what's in their arsenal, but you Mm got to give him the space and the grace to figure it out. I mean, I know I'm being overly simplistic. Life is often more complicated than those examples, but the point is come to them with an opportunity to protect and provide not a demand or a command. It's an opportunity for them to protect and provide in a way that they can win and win for you too. That's awesome. And that's something that I have to, I personally try to keep at the forefront of my mind um, in my own relationship and making those requests or even, you know, not just with my significant other, but in other males in my life, my dad, et cetera. And something I wanted to go back to real quick, when you were talking about how we interact with each other as women, mm-hmm. it reminded me of a video I saw Bishop Jakes do, and he was illustrating the interaction between men and women. And he said, a husband can come and, you know, come home and say, ask his wife, what's for dinner? And she'll go on this whole tirade of how she went to the store. She ran into so-and-so at the store and they did such and such. And she couldn't find this at what she was going by. And all these other things about her adventure. At the point to the store. And all he wants to know is what's for dinner. 
All I want to know is steak, chicken, or fish, babe. Steak, chicken, or fish. I think um, Steve Harvey does the same in his book. Um, and, and where he talks about the, can you believe so-and-so had on the same blouse? And he illustrated that conversation between two women and two men. And, and the two women were like, that blouse you bought is so-and-so? Yes, girl. The one you had on sale to go with those shoes? Yes. Y- yes. And did you wear it with those pants? I surely did. I was looking fly. And then two dudes, you know, he said the woman tells that same story to a man. And he, he's like, I mean, what, what's the big deal? Wear another blouse. Uh, <laughs> you know? It, those examples are hilarious, but yes. they're very they do a very good job of illustrating how we communicate with each other and how um, I have heard even in my own life, how men are like, just, just get to the point. Like, what are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to talk about? Just get to the point. Now, do you see why I was so excited about this conversation and why I had to share Coach Ivy with you? It's so juicy and so good. Now, don't worry. We aren't going to leave you hanging. Tune in next week for part two of this conversation, where we talk about our strength as Black women, which results in us often walling off our vulnerability, keeping us from receiving all that's available to us, more diamonds on how to engage with our men and create space for him to show up as the man we want him to be, no matter how good he already is. What we can do to make some of these shifts in ourselves feel more feminine in our own skin and keep the spark in our relationship. I'll give you a hint, it's not what you're thinking. Well, that for sure helps, but you need this to even get to the bedroom and more. You don't wanna miss the conclusion next Sunday. Thank you so much for joining this week's conversation on the Crowned Opulence Podcast. I hope you heard something that inspired you made you laugh, or simply help you to feel like you weren't alone in this thing called adulting. If you like the show, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It would mean so much to me, and it helps the show. To continue this conversation, connect with us on the Crowned Opulence IG and Facebook pages. If you would like to have your favorite mimosa featured as part of the Mimosa of the Week, submit your recipe on crownedopulencepodcast.com. And while you're there, tell me what you would like to talk about on upcoming episodes. Ladies, do something this week to polish another queen's crown. You aren't everyone's glass of champagne and everyone isn't yours. Only those select few are privileged to enjoy you. See you next week.